Father, we just give uh, praise and honor for all that you've done in each and every one of our lives, individually and collectively. And we're just so thankful for another opportunity to try and get it right. I pray that uh, my sisters and brothers' hearts would be open tonight to receive what you have as well as mine. I know you have a, a word for us. And uh, I just pray that uh, it would just not be words, Father. It would be uh, the, the, the penetration of our hearts, Father, that we would have a desire to change, to, to be better, Father, to be closer to you. And I'm just so thankful that we get these chances, Father, that we get these opportunities. So, uh, again, Father, have your way in this place tonight. And may you be glorified in every word that we utter and every deed that we do, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, tonight, we're going to uh, start the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy. Uh, we're going to attempt to do chapter 1 and get through verses 1 through 20. It's a lot, uh, so I don't know if we will, but Lord knows. So if he doesn't get us through it, to be continued. Uh, so 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Paul, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandments of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Um, Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And uh, back a few months ago, I had, uh, I had an opportunity to do a radio interview with the uh, radio station in uh, Avon, Avon, I don't know how you pronounce it, and um, WSYL, and uh, he, we did a great interview, he asked a lot of questions, and myself and the other guy, Pastor Dan, gave some good answers. The last 20 seconds, he says, okay, I didn't prepare you guys for this, so I'm going to ask you a question. Are there apostles today? And it's like, um, I'm not going to answer that. Why not? Well, according to my definition, an apostle had to see Jesus Christ alive. And I don't think there are too many people running around today that are, you know, that old. Maybe some, but I don't know them. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's been something that I pondered ever since that interview. And so I did a little study. It doesn't pertain to this specifically, but the question still lingers. And there were several definitions as to what an apostle is. And the guy uh, that was sharing the interview with me said, yes, there are. Because as a matter of fact, his, his congregation refers to him as Apostle Dan. And even to right now, it, it's, it's the kind of things where if you go back and you look at what an apostle is, I'm not sure if most of us can be very definitive about whether it is or isn't, except based on the fact that he's Christ alive. And there's, there's a little uh, disagreement with some of the scholars as to whether that's true or not. And so, again, uh, not going to get into that tonight. Uh, you know, be a Berean and search for yourself and, and, and see what you think, but that's what I believe. I believe we had to see Jesus alive. Continuing, we have hope for the future because Christ purchased salvation for us on the cross 
in the past, as it says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, sanctifies us through his spirit in the present, and that account is in Galatians 5, 16, 25, 16 through 25, and will lead us to glory in the future, Colossians 1, 27, and 1 John 3, 2 and 3. So what that's really saying is God is yesterday, today, and forever. So he doesn't give up on us. He's always there, always encouraging, strengthening, sanctifying, and working our lives if we allow. So we never have to give up. We never, the, the, the thing is, if you are in Christ, the word hopeless is not a part of your vocabulary. There's always hope. Uh, and, and as we go through this, we're going to give an example of a person who refers to himself as the chief of sinners and why he said that. Uh, and even today, we see some things that are going on around us, and we think Paul's got a little bit of a competition. I mean, there's some, some out there today, and, and not just in some of the things that Paul did as far as uh, blasphemy, but even, I say beyond that, I don't know if, there's, if that really means anything. I don't know if you can go beyond blasphemy. But uh, there, there are people, groups, today that blaspheme his name. Verse 2, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Timothy received his name, which means one who honors God from his mother, Eunice and grandmother Lois, who were devout Jews who became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it refers to that in 2 Timothy 1, 5. And they taught Timothy the Old Testament scriptures from his childhood. And that account is in 2 Timothy three fifteen. The word true, he could have just said a son in the faith, a true son. And Paul only referred to, to two people and as, as such as a son, as a, uh, a beloved son, or as a true son in the scripture. And, and we'll, uh, we'll bring that name up later. And true uh, speaks of the genuineness of Timothy's faith in God. In all of Paul's inspired readings, he only referred to Timothy and Titus as true or beloved sons. And that, that occurs in uh, 2 Timothy 1.2 and Titus 1.4. Some, some among us have asked, is it possible that Paul can be Timothy's father? The answer is no. They've been watching too much Star Wars. You know? But it's, it, it says that uh, uh, in Acts 16.1, it says that Timothy's father was a Greek. And it is possible that, that uh, Timothy's father may have died before Timothy met Paul. The Greek word son is translated child, which emphasizes Paul's role as spiritual father to Timothy, and that's what he was. He was a spiritual father. And I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that every young person needs that. that in, in young relative term. But we all need that. We need someone in our lives who can encourage us through the, in the spirit, through the spirit. And there is no one that does not need that. They may not want it, but they need it. We need it. So we need those spiritual fathers. Timothy was probably in the late teens or early 20s during this time since about 15 years later. 
Paul referred to him as a young man, and that, that account appears in 1 Timothy 4.12. Uh, grace is, is getting, and, and in this case we talked about, to Timothy, a true a son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It is the goodness of God. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, also the goodness of God. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is also a result of God's love and frees us from the misery that comes with the negative consequences of sin and peace is something that we can only receive by trusting in a sovereign God. And you notice that I said negative consequences because most of us have been taught by the world that consequences are usually not good. So, okay, if you do that, there's going to be consequences. And that's not necessary. There are consequences. There are good consequences as well. So God protects us uh, uh, from the misery that comes with the negative consequences of sin. You say, well, brother, is a sin always negative? And it can be. But there have been times when God has used uh, a person in a sin to either work, work it out of their lives or the lives of someone else. And uh, we're not going to, there's a lot to that, uh, you know, what that really means. But anyway, uh, because he's a sovereign God, he has to reprimand. And sometimes he'll say, okay, rather than destroy this person, I will allow him or her to go deeper in that and to see the error of their ways, and that will cause them to repent. And sometimes he will allow that to happen. Verse 3, as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Before, before Paul left Ephesus, he likely began the confrontation with the excommunication of Hymenaeus and Alexander. And that is in 1 Timothy 1.20. These men held high positions in the churches but were teaching doctrine that was different from the apostolic doctrine. They were not teaching the glorious gospel of the blessed God, as it says in Timothy 6.3.4 and Acts 2.42. They were teaching a false doctrine which produced only conflict and ongoing debates. And that's happening around us today. Uh, with, with the false doctrine that, that's being taught. And don't always think in terms of church. Think about what some of us watch on TV and how that affects our lives. You know, we, we listen to the powers that be and the talking heads and the things that they say. And sometimes we buy in, sometimes we don't. But your eyes, ears, and heart still being exposed to that. And so these false preachers, false teachers aren't necessarily coming from the pulpit. For those who are glued into that TV or that radio or whatever, some type of social media, you're being subjected to something that could be even worse than what we get here in the church. Be careful. Be careful uh, what you listen to, what you watch, because you can't unhear, you can't unsee, and you can't push it out of your heart in a lot of cases. So let's just be careful. And, and this is something that I'm really struggling uh, with it because of friends and, and acquaintances that I know who are just so ingrained. It just, it just, it's causing them distress 
because of what they see and hear, yet they can't turn away. Oh, I, I just can't stand the news anymore. Every time I watch it, I just feel so distraught. Then don't watch. I, I can't. I, I can't help it. I got to watch. I got to know what's going on. It's like, okay. I mean, what do you do there? He said, help me, but I don't need your help. Help me, but I don't need your help. Help me, but I don't want to hear from, from what you've got to say about it. So I, all I can do is just caution the ones that I know that can continually are being so, so entrenched in this negative media. Don't let it happen to you. Um, and again, these men were teaching a false doctrine that created only conflict and ongoing disputes. And think about the conversation that we have today. How many subject matters do we broach during the course of a day or a week and they go absolutely nowhere? Vain conversation, fruitless. You know, and, and at the risk of, of sounding political, we, we're not going to touch on those because uh, it, the, the political arena right now is very volatile, as everybody in this room knows. So when you start getting these conversations about who does and who doesn't and what's right and what's wrong and who's lying and who's being truthful, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the conversation, what changed? You've got your opinion, I've got mine. He's got his opinion, she's got hers. And so it's fruitless. It's vain and vainless. Uh, you know, just we can, we can sustain, we can at least minimize our exposure to this negative garbage. And again, I have a totally different attitude, and I don't expect most people to feel the way I do. But believe it or not, you can live without it. Well, brother, how do you know what's going on around you? Well, you've been forewarned. It's right here. So anything that's happening right now is, you know, oh, late-breaking news. No. Late-breaking news restored. It's already there. It's told us and it's telling us what's coming, what's coming. And the saving grace is we know who wins. We know the end result. So thank God for that. So I just, I, I beseech you, don't get caught up in it. It's just not worth it. It's not healthy. Verse 4, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Let's also be careful whom and what we listen to. Always consider the source and possible motive. What is the source of what I'm hearing? And do, is there an ulterior motive to what this person is telling me? You know, uh, we don't need another hero. We don't need a, a, another Republican or Democrat to show us the way. Jesus Christ has, is, and continues to show us the way. If we can rely on that, life is a lot simpler, a lot easier on the old heart. Uh, there are those among us who relish opportunities to share doctrines of demons. And it says that in 1 Timothy 4.1, posing as God's truth, 1 Timothy 4.7, you can better identify a lie when you know the real truth. Uh, a statement was made uh, last week that the truth is subjective. I don't agree with that. 
I don't agree. The truth is the truth. The truth is not subjective. Your opinion is subjective. A lie is subjective. But the truth is the truth is the truth. And the only source of truth that we have today is in this book. The only source. You know, you can read other things. You can read commentaries. But you've got to remember that the person that gave their opinion is a sinner saved by grace. At best. And does this, do you agree with what that person has to say? Just read another book and there's the opposing thing. So the truth is not subjective. The opinions are subjective. The lies are subjective. So let's stick with the truth. That way we can't go wrong. And the only way you can identify a lie is when you know the real truth. Verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And the commandment is love is to preach the truth and warn others of errors so we can be called to salvation in Christ, which produces a love for God. That's what that commandment is. Now, we could have just said from a, a heart, from a conscience, or from a faith. But there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, because the mark of a true Christian is self-denial and self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. And that's where the rub comes in. Uh, we get to see it uh, where some of us, friends, family, are so focused on themselves. They really, well, it doesn't benefit me, so I'm not going to do it. Even the fact that there are some, again, I'm going to be judgmental for 37 seconds. There are some right now who are sitting home saying they're not ready to come out because of the pandemic. Well, why don't you come out? Well, it's so much easier for me to sit here in my jammies. I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to do these things. I can multitask while I'm listening to the message. Who's the focus on? Do you realize that there's someone at your church who would be encouraged by you? Do you realize there's someone that you can bless by being there? You can't do that from your home. You can't do that from your bedroom or your kitchen. So since the focus is on you, you're not even considering the fact that someone else is missing out because you're not willing to make the effort to be there. And different people have different reasons, but there's some who are sitting home right now, and there's no good reason for them to be home. There's no reason why they can't come out. And, and I, I, I'll be more specific. Night of prayer. What's preventing us from having to come out? Uh, we're spread out. We're wearing masks. We're doing all the things that the powers that be said we should from a legal standpoint. But as long as you're focused on you, it doesn't really matter. The fact that someone else is missing a blessing. The fact that someone else could be encouraged or encourage you. There are people in not just this body, everybody who live by themselves. There's no social interaction. So they come here and this is, this is when they get it. But you're home, they're here. So the opportunity to share with them doesn't, doesn't exist. That's 37 seconds. Uh, verse 6. Oh, no, no, excuse me. 
Uh, back to verse 5. A pure heart is a heart that is submitted to the word, the will, and the way of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a pure heart. A pure heart. Submitted. That's a key word. Uh, we have trouble with that. Being submitted to anything or submitting to anything. The word, the God's word. Are you reading? God's will. Are you listening? God's way. Are you following? It's, it's tough. It's not easy for any of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in, in the Lord. Those are tough. I read the word sometimes. I listen to him sometimes. I follow his path sometimes. If we want to call that committed, then we're way off. You're not. There's no such thing as a part-time commitment in this sense, in this context. So we have to make sure that we, we approach it with a pure heart. A good conscience is that which is perfect and produces godly pleasure and godly satisfaction. Those are crucial, very crucial that, that we have that good conscience, perfect, godly pleasure. And we say godly pleasure because when I, if I said uh, when a, uh, a good conscience is perfect and produces pleasure, some of us may not interpret that as, well, first of all, what comes to mind? Produces pleasure. That means I'm having a good time. That means I'm enjoying myself. That means I'm happy. Godly pleasure. It doesn't mean the opposite of that. It doesn't mean that you're not enjoying yourself or having a good time, as we say. It just means you're allowing the Holy Spirit to control your actions. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to control your thoughts. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to control your life. That's what that is. Nothing more, nothing less. A good conscience of that which is perfect induces godly pleasure and godly satisfaction. When a believer does God's will, that believer enjoys the assurance, the peace, and the joy of a good conscience. That's what we want. We want a good conscience. Lord, I hear you. I'm following you. And, and I want to do your will. That's the only response to that. We, we got to have it. We got to have that good conscience. Sincere faith is a faith that does not attempt to hide its misdoings. Sincere, sincere. Uh, and that word itself is we, we've all heard it, sincere. Uh, and, and, we, and when we use that word, the good uh, analogy that we use is when the, when the, the, the potters make their, their vases, vases, if they would get a crack in them, they would just put wax over that crack, paint over it, and let the buyer beware. You don't know the difference. But when that vase is submitted to heat, when that vase is submitted to light, all of a sudden that crack appears. So this is, I am the light of the world. So when that light, the light of Jesus shines on you, it, he knows. He already knows. He doesn't have to wait until that. He already knows your heart. Is that good conscience going to come through? Is that sincere, seriousness going to show through? Are we sincere about what we're saying? We talk about our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How are you living? Are we living it? And again, there's no part-time Christian. There's no secret agent Christians. You are or you're not. 
But that's one of the things that we don't know, and we'll talk about that before we're done tonight, about how do we know when someone is in the faith? And Paul refers to that later on as we go through. Declaring, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Verse 6, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Idle talk refers to speech that is aimless and has no logical end. It is essentially irrelevant and will not accomplish anything spiritual or edifying to believers. It is fruitless or vain discussion. Let's not fall into that. It's so easy to do. So easy. We want to be a part of the conversation. But at the end, who wins? Who's won? Did you change them? Did they change you? If not, what was the point? Seven, divine, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And these false teachers were only interested in the prestige that came with the position of teacher. Be careful, those who have a desire to be on the front line. It's not as pretty as you think. You get to hear things that break your heart. You get to see things that break your heart. And though there's some among us here who think that being in that position is great, you know, because of the prestige, they call it prestige. I haven't seen it yet, but it's just, you think that it's great, you know, when people refer to you by a title, and some of us think that's really great. But there's a lot that goes with it. You don't have a choice but to listen to that, that, that sister who's been verbally or physically abused in her home. You don't get to hear often about that guy who has a prodigal daughter, prodigal son, who's causing them to pull their hair out. You don't get to see a child or hear from a child that doesn't want to go home because being, being at church is a lot safer than being at home. You don't always get to hear that. And those are the kind of things where you just can't sidestep if you're on the front line. Be careful. Be careful. The prestige uh, is, is being overshadowed by the things that continue to break your heart. Just be careful. If you have a desire to be there, make sure that the Lord is guiding. Make sure that it's not something that you want to do because your buddy is a pastor at his church. So I want to be a pastor at mine. No, no, wrong heart. You're going to be uh, disillusioned, I can assure you. Uh, these teachers, false teachers, were not concerned about learning the law and teaching it to others. These false teachers impose on believers in Ephesus a legalistic heresy that offers salvation by works. And this is a typical approach because the reason that we like works is because it gives us a measuring stick so I can compare myself to you. Well, I'm doing this and you're not, so that means I'm more spiritual than you. This is, I get to do this, and you don't get to do this, so that means you know I'm in a better position than you. That's, that's all lawful. That's all legalistic. If the Lord's not guiding, then you shouldn't be going that way. Let the Lord guide where he wants you, when he wants you, and how he wants you. Let the, law, let the Lord decide that. Verse 7, 
in this context, we're, we talk about the law. We're referring to the Mosaic law, not just law in general. These teachers wanted to impose circumcision in the keeping of Mosaic ceremonies on the church as necessary for salvation. That would be like your pastor telling you that you haven't received salvation because you haven't been baptized. You haven't received salvation because you haven't had the, the leaders in the church pray over you. That's not the Lord's desire. The law is there for a reason, a great reason. So let's not base what we do and what we don't do on the law because we can't uphold the law. We cannot. Uh, I don't want to use the word impossible because the word says all things are possible, but it is very inconceivable that we can keep the law. I'll say it. It's impossible. Forget it. You cannot keep the law. And even uh, when the Lord gave us all the laws and then he said, okay, they're not, they're not doing very well with those laws. You know what? Let's, let's break it down to ten, ten commandments and see how they do. We didn't do well. All right. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to break it down to two. Love the Lord I got with all thy heart, all thy might, all thy soul, all thy strength. Love others as yourself. How are we doing with those? Some of us are not doing great with those, especially that second one. We pick and choose who we're going to love. We pick and choose who our neighbors are, who our neighbors are going to be. That's not how the Lord would have it. But we know, verse 8, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The word good in this context can be translated as useful. The law is good or useful because it reflects God's holy will and righteous standard. Its purpose is to show sinners their sin and their need for a savior. That's the purpose of the law, to get you to salvation, to get you to grace. Purpose of the law. Nine, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Some of us do not understand the true purpose of the law. It is not a means to self-condemnation, sin, conviction, repentance, and God's mercy. These sins are a violation of the second half of the Ten Commandments, those dealing with relationships among people. A violation of half of the commandments? Serious stuff, folks. That's not how we want to be known. Ten, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if, the, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound refers to that which is healthy and wholesome. It produces spiritual life and growth. Do, does fornication, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, these sound like things that lead to spiritual life and spiritual growth. Not at all. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The gospel reveals God's uh, glory, which is a perfection of his person, his holiness, which is hatred of sin and justice, which is demand of punishment for violation of the law 
and grace, which is forgiveness of sin. We have a responsibility to make sure that all of God's people are aware of the seriousness of his law. Do not understand the true purpose of the law. And the word committed refers to trusting something of value to another person. God trusted his word with Paul. God trusts his word with you and you and you. God trusts you. He, he, he's entrusted you to rightly divide his word. We have a responsibility as Christians, true Christians, to rightly divide the word, to understand what the word says as best we can, and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. If you don't know, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to sit quietly and hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you? Are you willing to put the time in to learn what his word really means? If you're going to teach it, it must be rightly divided. It must. There's no, we, we don't add anything or take away anything. His word. And, and even more so than that, the ability or the desire to teach the truth in love. That's a challenge. Well, this is how I feel about it. You're giving them the truth, but are you giving them love? I'm going to tell you this, and you better do as I say. You're giving them the truth, but are you giving it to them in love? We have to ask ourselves that. And Paul was carrying out his, his revealed truth. And God entrusts us as Christians to rightly divide his word with others. We are to communicate and guard his revealed truths. To communicate and guard. Guard it. How do I guard God's word? With your heart. With your heart. There's no other way to do it. You know, you can, you, can, you can guard it by keeping your Bible close to you. But we need to guard it with our hearts. Plant it in our hearts and allow the Lord to take it from there. Verse 12, and I think Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I can personally apply these same words to my life. I'm now beginning to understand on a much deeper level the difference between the glory of the true gospel and the emptiness of false doctrine. Well, brother, you just learning that now? You should have known that a long time ago. But the Holy Spirit has this thing about letting you know what you need to know when you need to know it. And sometimes he'll allow us, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will allow us to go down a path that's not good for us. And it's an opportunity to learn, to grow. And sometimes uh, there's some hurt involved. But the good thing about it is God, God was in the recycling business. He even recycles pain. So if you get hurt in the process of learning more about him, that's the cost of knowing more about him. Continue to believe. In order for God to grant his sovereign purpose in us, we must have a personal relationship with him. Until Paul was changed by the Holy Spirit from self-righteous works to faith alone in Christ, he could not be used by God. He was in the same condition as the useless false teachers. 
He was no different in that respect. Because, again, give, talking about Paul's life, and, and most of us know what he went through, and we talk about this before we end tonight, Lord willing, is he thought he was doing the right thing. So we're going out beating our friends or our family across the head with the Bible. We convince ourselves that I'm doing the right thing. And you could be so far from it and not even realize it. So Paul was there at one point. He thought he was, you know, defending the gospel. Defending his religion is what he was doing. And I pray that we don't get caught up in religion. We're not religious. We're not part of a religious system. We are a part of a faith-based system because everybody's religious. I don't know anybody, and I haven't, I've never met anybody who wasn't religious. Well, I'm not religious, brother. I'm an atheist. Nonsense. You believe in something. You believe in someone. And I, at some point when the doors are closed, if things are not going well, you pray to that God. So everybody's religious. There are things that we do daily that are religiously done. You and myself are part of a faith-based system. We're faith-based. Don't think in terms of religion. Until Paul was changed by the Holy Spirit, again, he was, he was useless. And... 13, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul's not making excuses. He's not saying, well, I didn't know what I was doing, so you know, that, that just excuses everything. He's not saying that at all. Paul did not understand Jesus' teaching. And so he, uh, he's, he, uh, he aggressively and violently attacked Christians. But in his mind, he was doing the right thing. He was defending the faith. He was defending what he believed in. He was defending, again, his religion. Paul did not understand Jesus' teaching and still rejected him. He was trying to reject the religion and earn his salvation, but was lost and damned. Paul thought he was doing God a service. Lord, I got you covered. You don't have to be concerned. I'll take care of these guys for you. No problem. They don't believe in you, so I'll just take them out and be one less thing you've got to do. No, Paul. That's not the heart of our Lord. 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Grace is God's loving forgiveness by which he gains uh, salvation apart from any merit on the part of the one who is saved. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. You don't. It's all God. He grants it to you. So it's, it's not because of what you do or don't do. It's not because of what Paul did and didn't do. It's all God. And some of you have said, well, I wish I had known this a long time ago. But again, the God that we know lives outside of time. He knows when the right time is for you. He knows that you're ready to receive or you're not. He knows that if your heart is willing or not. He knows what your struggles are. He knows that a couple more baggage, uh, some more baggage that you need to put down before you really commit to him. He knows that. 
That's what we have to be conscious of. He knows, he knows, he knows. Faith and love are attitudes frequently linked with salvation in the New Testament. They are gifts of God's grace in Christ. God's grace in Christ. What does that mean? So God, Christ has died for us. So, so the Lord is granting these riches at his expense. Thank you, Lord. But can't we do something to earn it? Can't we at least contribute to our salvation? How, we, how do we do that? Well, you died for us, so at least I can pay you back. With what? What do you got? Well, I got 30 shekels in my pocket here. Uh, eh, that's not going to cut it. What do you got? The most you can say is, okay, since you died for me, I'll live for you. And he doesn't require that. He gives you a choice. He gives you free will to honor him, to love him, to edify him in our deeds, in our words. He gives you that opportunity. Show me, show me that you believe in me. Show me that you want a personal relationship with me. I caution you, there may be a cost involved, a cost you may not want to pay. Your friends are going to excommunicate you. Your buddies are not going to want you hanging out with them anymore. The girls are not going to invite you to the tea party anymore. The guys are not going to invite you to fishing trip, skiing trip. Are you willing to take that hit? And we can sit here right now in the comfort of this building and say, oh, sure, no big deal. To thine own self be true. Is that what you really want to do? Are you willing to count the cost of following Jesus Christ? You got to know that you know that you know. And if you're not sure, continue to seek the Holy Spirit. What should I do, Lord? And he'll give you a definitive answer. And he's not going to say, follow them. He's going to say, follow me. That's what we want to be. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Uh, few could be considered a worse sinner than someone who blasphemed God and persecuted his church, God's church. Paul's attitude towards himself dramatically changed as it, as it refers to in Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Some of us uh, do not understand the, the true purpose of the law. It's not a mean to self-condemnation and conviction parent, but in God's mercy. 16, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long sufferings as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. Paul was an example of what God will do with a willing vessel. God can and will display to all his grace and mercy with the most wretched sinner. So don't feel like you're not worthy. You are worthy. Don't feel like, brother, sister, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the life that I came from. You know, my life would put Rahab to shame. Truth be known. God's not about that. It's not about that at all. And, and some of the people that are sitting in this room right now, if they would or could share 
where they were, which I don't, I don't endorse, you realize that God has brought them from that miry mud. Some of these guys, us, us, not these guys. Some of these men and women sitting in this room right now were brought out of the muck. They, were, they, they had to hit bottom. We had to hit bottom before we recognized him as our Lord and Savior. There is no one anywhere in any condition that can't be saved. Nowhere is hope. And as I said at, at the onset, we need to strike that word hopeless from our vocabulary. With God, all things are possible. With God, there's always hope. I don't care how bad your situation is. I don't care how damaging it is to live in the situation that you're in. God has a plan. He'll be able to work it out. Uh, but why would a loving God do things like that? Uh, we, had, we got into a discussion uh, just yesterday uh, when uh, we mentioned the, the, uh, the fact that God hates sin. There was someone among us who couldn't grasp that. God is love. So how can God hate? And, you know, we, we gave him some scripture referring to, and I started off with, uh, um, nah, nah, never mind, it's gone. Anyways, uh, there's, there's several scriptures that it says either God, uh, uh, he abhors, and I know one of those is uh, divorce, and then there were several that it, it refers to that that were repulsive, repulsive to the Lord, and he just he he couldn't grasp that. I, I just can't grasp that, and and I said to him, the reason why you can't grasp the fact that it says God hated anything, is because the world has taught you what the word hate means, and until you let that go, you're not going to be able to comprehend what that means. So, and, and I, I gave him an example of, he's got a son. Do you love your son? Yeah. Do you love it when your son goes out and party all night? Oh, I hate that. Whoa, wait a minute now. You just sort of hit on it there, brother. You don't hate your son. You hate the sin. So God, God can't love that sin. He's love, but he can't love that sin. And it was a challenging because, to me, I thought it would be easy to grasp Something like that. But he, he never really got it. So my suggestion was, let Scripture interpret Scripture. You go in and you find instances where it says God, God hates or God abhors. And then continue to search the Scripture and let's talk later. But uh, anyway, I just brought that up because, you know, we, we think that, oh, well, this, this should be easy to grasp. This should be very easy. I, I don't see why this is so hard for you to understand. But again, all of our minds don't work alike. Thank God for that. But those are t sometimes those things are difficult, and we have to put in more time. We have to make a commitment to helping our sisters and brothers to try and understand more. And some of you might have been able to give him something even simpler to, to ponder well, look at this verse here. Tell me what it says. Well, it says that God hated this group of people. So does that mean that God is hate? No. And it's not the person. It's not the people. It's not the group. It's the sin that he hates. 
moving on. Verse, six, uh, verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And in this case, who did Paul give the glory to? That Paul says, well, because I became a spiritual man and uh, I, I threw away the, all the things that I was doing wrong. And so God didn't have any choice but to uh, bless me. No, he did not. He said, now to the king eternal, immortal, immortal, excuse me, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He gave all praise to Jesus Christ for saving him. That's what we need to do. This wasn't reserved just for Paul. That's us, ladies and gentlemen. That's us. Well, the reason that the Lord saved me is because I stopped doing what I was doing. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know, because there's still other stuff that's in there. And unless you allow him to purge all that goop out of that vessel, then it's, it's going to be difficult for him to just continue to pour the blessings on you. But he never, ever, ever gives up. Never. And that's what I encourage from us. Never give up. Never give up. Well, you know, uh, the, the, I have a friend who's a sinner. Yeah, your friend's got a friend who's a sinner, too. We can't get caught up in that. We can't. Because just by the grace of God, man, that any of us can be that worst person. Any of us can be that chief sinner. Any of us. And the thing about it, we think we're doing good, but on any given day, we're prone to wander. No, brother, I'm really ground. I'm really hooked into the rock. I'm anchored in, man. No way. Immovable. All right. We got an enemy. We have an adversary who wants to test you on that. And he's done it. If the adversary, if Satan would do that with Jesus, does he consider you a challenge? Absolutely not. Be careful. Be careful when we, we continue to talk about being holier than thou. Verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that uh, you that them you may wage the good warfare. These prophecies specifically and supernaturally call Timothy into God's service. That's what happens with you. That's what happens with me. Specific is very specific. What God has for you is for you. And it can only be done supernaturally. You can't will your way into the kingdom. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. You can't get into the kingdom based on someone else's good merit. You can't. It's all about a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Period. It's not based on our good deeds or the things that we make an effort to stay away from. It's not based on any of that. Paul urged Timothy to fight the battle against the enemies of Christ and the gospel. That's what we should do. That's what we, we need to do. That's what we have to do. Fight the good fight. Contend for the faith, as, as it says in... Paul urged Timothy to fight the battle. And, and that's what it is. It is a battle. It's a daily battle. And we were talking about uh, even, even the things that are external... Even internal, there's a ba battle 
day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. The flesh and the spirit battling for supremacy. Choose this day who you will serve. 19. Having faith in a good conscience which some, having rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. And we all understand Paul's reference to that word shipwreck. Now, there's two faiths in this, having faith in a good conscience, which having, some have rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. The first faith is subjected and means continuing to believe the truth. That faith means continuing to believe the truth. It's subjective. Can you look at me and tell whether I'm being sincere? No, you can't. It's subjective. I don't know, the brother's coming along pretty good, but I'm not sure if he's really serious about this. I'm not sure if he's speaking from his heart or he read a book this week. And the other faith is objective, referring to the content of the Christian gospel. Faith in the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. Do you trust it? Do you believe it with all your heart? Do you live it? Are you ever in a situation where you're ashamed of the gospel? Have you ever gone somewhere and I'm really not comfortable praying here or sharing here? Is that you? Has that ever been you? Be confident. Be confident because, first of all, it's the truth. And nobody in their right mind, I use that word right, can argue with you. They can't. They can't. The truth, this is the truth. Now, I didn't say they're not going to argue with you. But if they do, more than likely they're not in their right mind. How do you argue the truth? Verse 20. Of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul put these two men out of the church because of their false teaching. Paul learned not to blaspheme when confronted by the true understanding of the law and the gospel. The law and the gospel. The law takes us to that. The law takes us to grace. We have to understand what that really means. Well, I don't, brother, I'm not under the law. Eh, okay. All right. What's the speed limit? 55. What do you do? 57. Why? Well, the law says, well, wait, wait a minute. Did you just say you weren't under the law? Well, I don't mean that kind of law. No, I'm talking about law, God's law. Are you under there? And how do you get to grace? How do you get to know grace unless you understand the law? How do you get to understand the fact that you can't keep the law? How do you get to understand that he measures out a certain amount of grace just for you? How do you understand that? The Holy Spirit will teach you, but you got to be open. Your eyes, your ears, and your heart have to be open. And I'll, I'll be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. And it's just for you. You can't take that and, and, and divide it up and give somebody else a part of it. Not directly. He will give you an opportunity to share. He will give you an opportunity to witness. He will give you an opportunity to minister to someone. But that he's given you a portion of that, and he's willing to do the same for them. He's not a respecter person. 
What he has for you is for you. And his desire is that you know and be known. That's his desire. Are you willing to commit to that? God's evangelistic work could not go on at the expense of the purity of the church. Doesn't really matter what church, who's behind the podium. His work could not go on at the expense of purity of the church. If you're, if you're dirtying up that church, dirtying up the, the member's mind with some false gospel, he's going to take care of it. It's not going to go on. He can't allow it. He won't allow it. So when you have an opportunity to share his word, make sure that you have a good understanding of what it means. We're not always going to get it right. We're going to mess up. You know, hey, brother, what did you mean by, oh, is that what I said? Oh, well, that's not what I meant. Well, bro, I have a problem. I have the luxury of knowing what you said, but I don't have the luxury of knowing what you meant. So I prefer that you truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's where we want to be. Make sure that we're clear. Make sure that we're concise as best we can be where we're sharing God's word. It's precious. It's sacred. Understand it. If you don't, that paraclete is sitting right there just waiting to be called upon. I'm here for you. What do you need to know? Well, I'm having trouble understanding how I can say God hates. Well, here's what it means, my son, my daughter, my sister, my brother. Here's what it means. I'm having trouble understanding how, how a loving God can take away someone that I love. I, I don't get that. How can that be? Well, God saw that there was a, a better way for that person to serve the kingdom someplace else rather than here. All right. Well, why does God allow us to be involved with prodigal sons and daughters? Why does God allow bad things to happen to our children, our sons, our daughters? Why does a loving God allow that? Uh, do you know a better way that he could have cleaned up this situation? It wasn't making you a priority. It was making that child or that person, that sister or brother a priority. And you're just living with the consequences of it. He knows what he's doing. We can trust him. He has a lot more experience with a lot more things than we do. So we need to trust him. So we're going to wrap. Um, it's so important that, that we, um, as in the ministry, and I'm speaking the church as a whole, adopt some younger people. And this is what, what Paul did in this case adopted, in a sense, Timothy. And that's what we need to do. We need that, that, that vibrancy. We need that, that freshness. We need to impart the word or impute the word on our younger sisters and brothers. And I personally don't think it has to be any special occasion. I think that we have an obligation to teach them, to teach them the word. And uh, I think we're... we're uh, we're neglecting our full duty if we're not bringing young people alongside of us. That's all of us, everybody in this room and everybody in pixel land. You know, I think that we need to, to bring, bring it about because if we don't, um, 
that generation, that, that, that forgotten generation is just going to continue to grow. We don't want that. We want the word to go on. And God always has a remnant. Don't misunderstand. He always has a remnant. So there's someone, you know, who, who's getting it, someone who's going to carry it out. He makes sure that all these years and the word hasn't died and the word's not going to die. And we all need to take a, a, a part in it to make sure that his word continues. So as Paul adopted Timothy and others, let's bring up our younger brothers and sisters alongside, teaching them the word, encouraging them in the word, making sure they understand God's word. It's very important. So we don't want to get to the point where uh, the knowledge of God is not there except in us. We need to spread it, go into all the world. It doesn't mean, you know, you got to get on a plane. Does your neighbor know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Does your co-worker know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? And on and on and on and on. And the answer to some, with some of us is no. No, we have family members. And I would be willing to say, Everybody in this room has a family member who does not care to know our Lord and Savior. Don't give up. There's always hope, always a possibility, always a chance. So just remember, somebody has prayed for you, grandma, grandfather. Someone is praying for you, our pastors, the other members of the body. And someone will continue to pray for you, our sisters and brothers in Christ. Never give up. Always hope. Lord, we just thank you for uh, how you blessed us tonight, Father. And I just pray, Father, that your word was rightly divided. Um, so much for, for me to learn, so much for us to learn. And I just pray that uh, my sisters and brothers' uh, hearts, eyes, and ears were open to receive what you have for us and that we would leave here knowing more about you than when we came in, Father. Uh, we don't know uh, the, your plan for us, but we know it's good. We don't know your will for us, but we know there is. We don't know, uh, we don't even know the desires of our heart, Father. We think we do, but we're so tarnished by what the world teaches us that we should and shouldn't do should and shouldn't say where we go and where we don't go. I just pray, Father, that we would just continue to keep our eyes on Jesus and not be distracted by the shadows around us. And as you take us from glory to glory, Father, I pray that we would always be mindful of giving you the glory that was due you, Father, the honor. So I thank you for who you are. I thank you especially for whose we are. We love you, Lord. And our desire is to just grow closer to you. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys.